You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Welcome back to the Doing Law Differently podcast. I'm your host, Lucy Dickens. Today's guest is Helen Kay, a long-time listener of the Doing Law Differently podcast and someone I've had the pleasure of helping a little bit on her journey to doing law differently. Back at the start of the year, I spoke to Helen about her plans to start her business that was born out of her frustrations with traditional law. And so it's really nice to hear how far she's come in just a few short months since she started her business. Helen is a commercial lawyer and her law firm is Rise Legal. She has experience in top tier firms in the UK and Australia, as well as heading up commercial practices in boutique firms and running her own firm back when she used to live in Perth, WA. I loved hearing how Helen put her plans and ideas into action in her new firm and how she's really living out her ideals around client centricity and taking care of business and taking problems off of business owners' hands so that they can focus on what they do best. We talk about Helen's use of fixed prices, scoping, how she scopes, her communication with her clients and the different techniques that she's using to really simplify and break down the barriers and the legalese as well as some of the technology that she's put in place to really streamline her client engagement process. Before I hit play, I'd love you to please leave me a rating and review to let me know what you think of the podcast. If you're a fan, how about sharing the episode with friends or colleagues that you think would love it too? Now let's hit play. This is Helen Kay of Rise Legal on the Doing Law Differently podcast. Helen, thank you for joining me on the podcast pleasure to be here Lucy thank you. Now you made the bold decision to start your law firm just as COVID-19 hit so there was obviously a lot behind that decision and you must have been really passionate about wanting to set your law firm up in the way that you have for you to jump in during those uncertain times that we're probably still in to be fair but let's understand some of the reason why you chose to start your law firm and why you pushed on even though there was some doubt about the economy and all of that kind of thing. Okay I'm the crazy girl who started a business during COVID yeah um, it's really a product of me having a head full of ideas about how things could be done better and then hitting brick walls and not being able to go through with those ideas which doesn't sit well with me as, as a as somebody who just gets stuff done, I really feel as though the legal profession can improve in a lot of areas. There's so many simple ways that we can make these improvements and using examples from other industries and bringing in people who traditionally probably didn't work in law firms, bringing in different types of talent. You know, don't go and engage all these grads straight out of law school, bring in a mix, bring in some marketing people, bring in some tech people as well into your law firms. And just all of this kept me thinking that I was in the wrong environment, sat in a traditional law firm, sat having a meeting at a, on a mahogany desk where somebody's had to phone the receptionist to book. Didn't feel like me. I always felt slightly out of place. And until I met the wonderful community that is Clarissa's Happy Lawyer, Happy Life, where I realised there actually are people like yourself, like me, who actually are questioning. And not only questioning, we're not just saying this is wrong and having a moan about it, we're actually doing something about it. 
I agree. I love Clarissa's community. And a lot of the reason why is because I feel like I feel like I fit there. I feel like we're just, I say normal people with, you know, inverted commas, because I know what is normal, but it's a different vibe to what you expect, I guess, of traditional lawyers and what clients expect of traditional lawyers. So what are some of the things though, that you didn't like? I mean, you said the receptionist booking system, not having enough variety of different types of people or different types of roles in the firm. But what else was it that you felt like you were butting your head against? The two biggest things, Lucy, and anyone who knows me will just be nodding away when they listen to this. The two biggest things are hourly billing in commercial law. I know it works in a lot of other areas, but in commercial law, I think you can really... um, especially in the non-litigious side, we can really get rid of hourly billing and remote working, flexible working. So I guess on the, I do fixed fees. I've been doing fixed fees for years. Sometimes it's not possible. Maybe in 5% of my work, it's not possible. And the client understands that. But where I can, I scope it within an inch of its life, make sure the client understands exactly what we're going to do, why we're doing it, how we're going to do it, and how much it's going to cost them. Also explain to them what it doesn't include. I know a lot of people struggle with fixed fees. I think the main thing is just that communication of what it does include and what it doesn't include. And communicating, making sure they understand, put that all out, phone them. So that really, in answer to your question about, you know, what, it just annoys me that it we've done hourly billing for years, therefore we're going to continue doing it. It's easier for law firms, isn't it? Just to get a standard cost agreement and say these are our hourly rates. And go and do them whatever they want to do or whatever they feel like they should do, regardless of whether they've actually been asked to do it or it's adding any value. I agree with you. Scoping is a really, really important part of fixed pricing. And it is a skill, I think, because lawyers traditionally aren't used to doing this and not necessarily in the business of working out the client journey and mapping the future of the of the engagement like you've suggested scoping is something it's really a skill that we have to learn so what have you done what do you do to scope what's involved in that for you there's actually quite a lot involved and it takes a lot of experience to do this but I've been working on this I had this firm back in Perth as you know my lovely place had it back in 2012 and just relaunched it essentially over a Mason case. With scoping, the first thing is to understand what the client truly needs, not what the client has asked you for, but what the client truly needs. It could be that they've gone to see their accountant, their accountant has told them you need a partnership agreement. They phone around law firms to have a quote for a partnership agreement. We've heard um, Demetrio talk about this. I was just saying, that, thinking that, that. yeah. yeah. That was, I had a nodding ahead moment when I listened to that podcast and had a laugh with Demetrio about that because, yeah, nine times out of 10, actually what they need is a shareholders agreement. That's fine. But understanding really what the client needs, even beyond that, let's not just put it into a bracket of, oh, that client fits into that particular service that we offer. Therefore, that lawyer will do it because that lawyer does those documents. Having just asking a series of questions of the client, having a script ready and listening to their answers and really digging into them. So I'll give you an example. A client rang me on a referral from a broker to say he wants to sell his business. Now, you know, I was busy. I was in the middle of something. I think I had to go and record a webinar. And so I said to him, I said, okay, that that sounds great. Just give me a quick background. What's the business? Who are you? And then we booked in a call for me to call him back later when I had more time to give some energy to it. And in the meantime, I got an ASIC search for his company and I could see that he was a a third owner. So there was two other owners in that. So 
he can't sell his business unless the other two guys are on board with him. So that's the question, are the other two guys coming on board? And then when I had the phone call with him, it actually led into me asking a series of questions. Why did he want to sell? The reason he wanted to sell, because one of the shareholders was doing something a bit untoward. He didn't like, he didn't like where it was going to take the business. So that actually ended up turning into an advice about what that other shareholder could be doing and how they could, the other two could stop that block, that veto it, and ended up being an advice almost about how to exit the other guy. Whereas I could have really quickly gone, oh, business sales, yep, here's my package, there you go, and got him on that journey, which was the wrong journey for him. Because it wasn't what he wanted. And that's what you say on your website about there's no one size fits all. You need to really understand who it is you're working for and what they want. And so for you, you're not just, you're not selling template documents on a website because for you and for your clients, you don't think that actually helps to solve their problem. And I've just put those words in your mouth. (laughs) So tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) No, I don't sell templates. And clients often say, surely you've got a template. I create a new document for every single client. It obviously has a start point, but everything is tailored because if we mapped out my firm, the client is foremost in the center of it. Everything comes out, stands out from the client. What does that client need? So for example, my files aren't necessarily named in the same way as you'd name traditional files. So Bob Smith, lease review. I actually have as a sort of sub file name, the ultimate goal of the client. So for example, somebody might be getting a lease, uh, a trademark registration done, for example. But the reason they're getting that trademark registration done is because somebody has been infringing upon their business name. And then we subsequently found out that she needed to register a trademark to stop that activity that was happening. So I just make sure that at the forefront of all my files on the dashboard is pinned the client goal. The objective. Summarized so that everything points towards that. I like that. And it means that it's always going to be front and center for you, isn't it? Anytime you're working on the file, you're reminded of this is what their objective is. Absolutely. Because it's so easy. We've been doing this a long time. We've got our templates. We've got our start points. We've got our processes. We know what the steps are. But we one size doesn't fit all. It absolutely doesn't. So we've just got to have that client goal, the end goal in mind. So whatever we do, whatever conversations we're having with the other side, with the client, we're always getting them towards that end goal. You mentioned before about the creation of systems and processes in your business and how they are used to enhance your client experience. Tell me about that. I guess it's the the front-end systems and the back-end systems. So the front-end systems are the things the client will see. So those will be the um, guidance notes that I send them at the beginning to tell them what the journey looks like. So, you know, business sale, what the different steps are so that they can work through those steps. They know what to expect. And they can also see the value then. You've given them a quote for a certain amount and they might be thinking that a business purchase is just a conveyance. Well, they see that and they see all the different things that you need to do at each stage of that process. So it works two ways. And then in the background, there's the workflows that then speak to those steps and those are the workflows that we're following in the background and it's very very clear to us who does what stage of each process so from the the client onboarding so the, the very first call from the client they enter into my client onboarding system so that I make sure that, you know, they get a follow-up phone call, they get the right email sent to them, they get a quote, they get a follow-up for the quote, feedback on the quote and then as soon as they're in the system 
then they go into the next workflow, which will be relevant to their particular um, matter, their particular goal. And then at the end of it all, when they're finished and everything's been done, then they go into a nurture campaign. So there's those three different um, stages of the client journey, essentially, all systemized, all processed. So they're not getting template legal advice. What they're getting is a procedure in the background that is templated, automated, so that they get through it really efficiently. And that frees me up to have really great calls with clients, really great um, interactions with my clients because I'm not sat doing the same job time and time again. As you very probably well know you are speaking my language because I love process and exactly what you've just described is what I really thrive on. I love doing it. I think that my listeners would be interested to hear what systems you're using to generate your workflows and the, you know, to create the emails and to put your clients through those processes. So what tools are you using to do that? I'm using lots of different tools, Lucy. I've, I realised quite quickly that there isn't one all singing, all dancing software system. We've spoken about this. Mm. There isn't one that does everything. So what you need to do is find the features in different ones that suit you. So you don't necessarily use all the features in every piece of software, but you find one that's got that feature. So for the legal software, I didn't want to invest in legal software, but I didn't find anything that did what I needed. Mm. I've actually just invested in Smokeball. Smokeball has great automation with the precedence. So you only put the client information in once and it pulls through onto all the letters, all the documents. As long as you get that information in and you spend some time and energy, which is what I'm doing at the moment, putting the precedence in. And that also has a really great tool um, for client communication. It's got a communicate app. So you can actually, the client can download the app and that helps. They can view and comment on the files that they've received. They can upload their own files. They can, can read and send messages from a secure browser. And it just frees up because one of the biggest complaints of lawyers is there are too many emails. Yeah, I'm sure clients are the same. Do your clients like that? Are they using the, the, that portal, the app? Yeah, well, I'm, obviously it's a new business. Um, I've got one client on it at the moment and it's working really well because it's like his own space, his special yeah. space with me. And uh, just, you know, and it's, it's coming up as... Um, reminders in the background and I can really see his his communications are standing out from all the other blur that comes through emails so I'm really liking that so that's one of the things I use but for processes I've actually built my um those processes that I talked about the client onboarding the journey the nurture campaign I'm actually using Infuse software yeah I use um Keep K-E-A-P and that's I've been using that for my CRM so all my, everyone I have an interaction with, they'll, they'll go into my CRM and get different tags. So whether they're a, a referrer, another lawyer, a client, um, most of the clients, my clients, as you know, Lucy, are tradies. Mm-hmm. So I've got them in, so I've got the electricians in a group and the plumbers in a group. So that if I see something useful, I can just send it out to that group rather than my whole database. But I actually use Keep. Keep has a pipeline and you can, I've created the dashboards and you can drag and drop each matter into the next stage of the journey so you can watch them physically go across your dashboard. I really like hearing you talk about this because before you started Rise or re, you, we rebirthed Rise, we were speaking about technology and I remember you were overwhelmed I guess with all the different options that there are for 
all the different types of technology we could need in our firm. So to hear that you've managed to kind of work your way through all that and find what really, really works for you and for your clients and that you've got such a good grasp on it and to hear the ways that that is now feeding through into making your firm more efficient and more effective in the way you deliver your services. It's really nice to hear that you've kind of come to that point. Yeah, I find I was lost and now I'm found. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've got um, other software systems as well, which do um, internally are great. Asana I use with, yeah. The, yeah, so the lawyers that I've brought on board, I can assign the tasks through Asana. Again, we communicate through there. So that frees up the emails. So it just keeps those nice and clean. And I use DocuSign. I think that's great for the clients. What's the worst thing when someone sends you a load of paperwork? You've got to go and print it out and then sign it and scan it back in again. Because who has printers these days? I don't even have a printer at home and I use them in every day. You know, I don't even have one in my house. So, yes, it's really frustrating. Few people have printers, especially your tradies, right? They're not, they're out and about on a site. They're not sitting in an office ready to press print and sign and scan something. Exactly. I mean, gone are the days where you send a whole ream of PDF documents to the client and then an email saying, print off the document in title first, print this one off double-sided, going, I upload just the printable ones into DocuSign and send those out with call, please sign. And they just, all they have to do, you know, they could be on site, I guess, and press the thumb. They've got a communication which has got all the instructions in. They've got the full pack, but the stuff they need to sign just needs to go electronically. Booking appointments as well, Calendly is great for that. I mean, how often do you try and bed somebody down for coffee and it's, oh, I can't do next Tuesday. Oh, how about Wednesday? No, Wednesday's no good for me. And suddenly you look at your clock and you go, oh my goodness, that's taking half an hour to arrange a coffee. So I've got the Calendly link, which was quite new a year ago. I thought I was quite tech savvy when I introduced that at the firm I was at. Obviously, a lot of people have got it now, but if you haven't, I'd definitely look into it. And I use Trello as well for my social media marketing of all the different boards for different types of marketing, whether it's the how to get paid or the register a trademark. It's all in different boards in Trello. Have you got your hands on my new ebook? It's filled with 80 short, sharp and practical tips to help you firm your foundations, sort your strategy and optimize your operations so that you can modernize your law firm. Get your copy at lucydickens.com.au forward slash ebook. So there's lots of different tools that you're bringing together to really achieve the objective. And I love hearing that. And thank you for sharing the names of them as well, because I'm sure there are people listening who will be like you were, whenever it was that we spoke earlier in the year, and will really benefit from your experience in trundling through all those different options and working out what's going to work for you. What are some of the feedback that you've had from your clients about the ways that you're doing law differently compared to what, I guess, what they might expect of a lawyer before they start working with you? I've had really great feedback, actually. I mean, obviously, I was going to say that, but some of the things that I hear time and time again with my methods of communication are you're not like a typical lawyer in the way that I return calls quickly. um, I'm really keeping the client informed as to what the next steps are the way in which I package those services. So giving giving them a choice. How do you want to deal with me rather than this is how I'm going to deal with you? So as you know, I've got those different packages that you've got the do-it-yourself, the do-it-with-you or done-for-you. So there's different options for different clients as to how they want to engage with me. Clients basically said it was actually really easy to deal with me. 
more so than they thought it would be, that they came into it never having dealt with a lawyer before. They had their expectations of what it was going to be like, and it was actually really easy and enjoyable and just simple in terms of, you know, I gave them what they needed and told them what the next steps were. And and I guess the proof is in the pudding. I've only been going for a couple of months now, and I've already got repeat work from existing clients and referrals from those clients. They actually said, you know, you need to go and see Helen and just getting just really great feedback. But what I am doing is I'm listening and I'm asking the questions. So at the end of a matter, I'll say to them, how, how did that go? Was there anything I could have done differently? Anything, you know, that you struggled with? And then just keep evolving through that. Can you give me some examples of the ways that you work with your clients? I mean, you've mentioned communication. What are some of the things that you do that really that stand out or that are different to the way that you've practiced law traditionally? One of the things that I do is right at the start, I ask the clients how I can best communicate with them, whether they're the kind of client that wants me to ring them, email them, text them, how that's going to work. And the sort of hours, I've got one client in particular who said to me, look, I really do only work on my business of an evening and weekends. So I'm working in the business during working hours. So for me, we have pre-booked seven o'clock phone calls. And that's fine because that, that suits him that, you know, and the, the pre-booking means that my phone isn't going all night. It's just mm-hmm. I know that that particular client needs that. The way in which I communicate with the clients, I think, helps. I record, I hated doing it at the start, but I'm getting more used to it now. I record Loom videos. So where I'm sending something out that's quite complicated, I think when your email's got more than two or three bullet points and two or three instructions for the client and you're sending them a document with markup in, you've got a table with questions in, I actually think it's really useful to just pull those up on the screen and go, right, here's your email. There's three attachments here. I'll just click on this one. If you scroll down here, you'll see that I've highlighted in yellow those three bits. And what I need you to do is just read those and tell me, is that an accurate description of your business going down? And then I can get that information back off the client and then book in a call with them just to talk through again. And clients really like that. And one client really liked it so much that he started Loom videoing me back, having never done it. (laughs) And now he's, he's just, loom, he loom videos everything. That <laughs> yeah, is great. That. I've turned him into a demon. <laughs> but it, it does just cut through a lot of the complexity and it adds a really human and personal element to the work that you're doing and the relationship that you've got with your clients because it's not just about writing long letters of advice. In fact, it's not at all about writing long letters of advice. It's about what is it that you want to achieve and how can we do this in the best and the most seamless way? Absolutely. I hate long letters of advice, as you know. I actually think that I don't want to read them. I don't want to settle them as a partner. Never mind send them out to a client. I know. The client just wants to know, what do I do and how much is it going to cost me? What's the next steps? And can you do that? Exactly, right? I had to write one this week, actually. And it was ended up being about four pages. And I was like, I don't like that. <laughs> what am I going to do about it? And so I did a similar thing to it. I know what you do. And I flipped it and I just put my summary and my next steps right at the top of the letter. And then I put all the other stuff later on. And I really tried to narrow it and shorten it and refine it and just really stick to the key points. But as I was working on this letter, I was thinking, I wouldn't want to receive this and read this as a client. So I was really, how can I make this better and more user-friendly and eliminate a lot of the legalities from it to just really get to the crux of the issues and that's where having the client's end goal at the front and center of your mind at all times take off I've told my lawyer the other day take off the lawyer cap and just work out that'll come instinctively the lawyery bit 
but the actually addressing the client's problem needs to be front and foremost in your mind. And that letter, he always wants to know, can I do, can I pull out of this franchise agreement? Yes or no? He wants a yes or no answer. And I know it's more complicated than that. So we can say you can, but these are the repercussions or we can try this option and let's look in a call. And then I actually do what you were saying, you know, the summary, the next mm. steps. And then I'll actually put, you know, as an appendix, the boring legal stuff. Yeah, by the way, this is how I got to this this conclusion. This is how, and you know, if if you are interested how I got to this, and you really do need to read the boring legal stuff because it's what led me to this. But first and foremost, these are the next steps. Let's have a call and talk through them. I don't think we've got to a stage yet where, well, I certainly wouldn't be comfortable doing all that on a video call. Imagine replacing a letter of advice with a video call. I think it would just be a bit too much. But yeah, just getting them that answer. Sometimes those letters of advice is that I've seen over the years, because I've worked at top tier firms, I've worked at boutique firms, traditional firms, new law, I've worked in new law as well, which was great. And I've seen probably in the more traditional firms, I've seen letters of advice go out, maybe 16 pages. What? About, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, 16 pages about how to get out of a shareholders agreement or something, you know, share sale. But what they've not actually done is they've not marked up the shareholders agreement or they've not actually done the next step and then what they do is quote for the next step so the poor client has had information you know that's cost them maybe four or five grand they haven't actually got any way yet it's not actually progressed them Mm. it's more like that was the thought process of the lawyer who had to go and do the research and had to look at the documents to then decide what the next steps were as opposed to it actually imagine that dashboard I said about he's not moved to the next step he's still stuck in limbo not knowing where he's going And I think that clients expect us to understand the law. That's just entry level. Of course, they would expect their lawyer has an understanding of the legal issues around the whatever it is that they're asking for advice on. So we then look at how else you differentiate yourself and how else you engage with the client. And it's that, it's the way that you're commercial, it's the business savvy, it's those are the things that make you stand out from somebody else and the reasons why somebody would engage you. Yeah, it's got to be an easy process. When somebody phones a lawyer, there's there's an issue, there's something going on. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called you. Mm-hmm. They either, in my case, they need help with a a business strategy. It's not necessarily that all the world has come to an end because somebody's lodged procedures because I don't litigate, but I do help people move through growth phases in their business. But it is they're, they're working on their business. They're going to be having issues with staff. They're going to be having cash flow issues. Everything is a problem and then suddenly there's another problem and it needs to be sorted and it just needs to be done for them so my ethos is that I help clients with their commercial contract so that they can get on and run their business so actually I take that off them it's like one of those going into a colleague who's holding their head in their hands and you go give me the file I'm going into clients and saying give me that file let me sort this out for you Mm -hmm. I'm not taking it off them and then going right now here's two hours worth of reading I now need you to do and here's decisions you need to make. I've told you all the law and I've covered myself. You know, I'm not, it's not risk covering. It's actually solution um, bringing to the client. I like that way, the way that you've described it. It's really good. It sits better with me. Yeah, I like it. It's a good analogy as well with the idea of you taking the load off their shoulders. You're not just kind of supporting them. You're saying, I'm, I'll, I'll do what I'm good at so you can focus on doing what you're good at. Yeah, leave it with me. I'll sort this out for you. Yeah. That's kind of, that's where I go because obviously I, I do a lot of work with tradies. They're busy. Gosh, they work hard, I tell you. And often, you know, their wife is working hard in the business as well behind the scenes. 
and the family, you know, coming through the ranks as well. It's family business. It's heart and soul. And they really do just need someone to solve the problem for them mm. and help them with it and tell them this is the best. I actually, and I've got to the point now, you know, 20 odd years in where I can say to them, look, there is a couple of options. I would, on your circumstances, I'd go with option two. And these are the reasons why I would go with option two. In my experience, this is what will happen if you try this one. And, and they'll just, yeah, yeah, whatever you say, Helen, let's, let's do that one. Yeah. Helen, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to do law differently? My biggest advice would be to look at everything and question it. We can't continue to do things the way we've been doing them. So actually just think, is there a better way to do this? Is there a quicker way to do this? If I'm going to have to do this more than once, is there a way I can automate this? Can I bring somebody else in to help with this? Is this a particular part of the job that I don't want to do? If not, who can do it and how? And what's the best way to bring them into this journey? But the client comes first. They absolutely have to come first before covering overheads for your firm, before trying to be the best firm that you can be and win awards and all that. The client comes first and everything else will slot into place as long as you make sure that you're focusing on the client and their end goal. Thanks, Helen. And congratulations on the relaunch of your business. You've done so well in the first, what, is it three months? Maybe not even quite three months. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I mean I guess it's been it's been squirreling away for a while but going for a couple of months now and it's just it's gone so much better than I could have hoped and I think a lot of that is to do with my network so they do say your network is your net worth I had a fantastic network and as soon as I was ready to press the green light my network said how can I help what can we do yeah sounds like some good advice as well to add to the Advice for people who are looking at doing things a bit differently and especially for people who are thinking about starting their own firm as well. Yeah, you can't do it on your own. You absolutely can't. You do need a wealth of people around you. Um, You need that support and support from within the legal community and outside of it as well. I've had support from all sorts of places. Yeah, I couldn't have done it without having the ready-made network, which was why I didn't move Rise Legal from Perth to Brisbane when I moved because I knew that you needed that around you to have a successful business. So I took the view that I would work with other people whilst I built my network up. Yeah, it sounds like it's, it's been a sensible decision and one that's obviously repaid you very, very well. Yeah. And you've got to give back to your network as well. You've got to sort of think what do people need in the network. And, you know, when, when COVID hit, I know we didn't want to talk about it, but when it hit, I really did reach out and say, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And I actually, with my budget, my business plan, I actually thought I'm not going to make much money in the next three months. And that's fine. I'm just going to do what I can to help people with their lease review, with their, you know, their rent relief with their landlords and helping them with trying to get out of contracts that weren't very commercial. And and that pays dividends because anyone that you've helped and you've not charged them, which you can't necessarily do in a traditional law environment, you can't spend five hours helping someone and not put time on the clock. I did that for the first few weeks. And I've had, you know, referrals here, there. They've come back to me for paid work. They've invited me on podcasts and webinars, which has opened even more doors for me. Yeah, and it all feeds back into the client centricity and in a mindset of what can I give and how can I solve problems, not how can I record time so that I can send a big bill. Exactly. And it's not how can I make sure that I can pay all the staff wages and the rents this month. It's how can I help that particular client because that's, going to come back tenfold. Thank you so much for joining me, Helen. Thanks for having me, Lucy. It's a pleasure. I've been listening to your podcast for ages and your podcast 
is one of the things that inspired me that I was in the wrong environment. I just nodded my way into work every day listening to your episodes. Thank you. Well, it's nice to have had a small part to play in helping you to build your business. We've had a large part to play, Lucy, you know that. (laughs) Thank you, Helen. Thanks again for tuning in to Doing Law Differently. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love you to share it with someone else who you think will love it too. You can find all our past episodes at doinglawdifferently.com.au.